Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. The Two Enthusiast Podcast. The kickstand revolution starts now. Yeah? Mm. That, only, that only took like, how long to, to, to get that one out? Uh, 15 minutes, I think. Yeah, that's some good work. He was just staring at his computer, kind of in this very thoughtful yet scared look. Like, I, I can't think of a tagline for a really long time. And I'm just kind of a lump on the log. I'm not feeling it, so... I was re- I was ready to let go of the tagline. Like, no, I can't. Our, our fans expect more from us. Yeah, you have know. to rise above, Quinn. Yeah, sure. You know, I have to you rise can... like a kickstand. <laughs> uh, rise like a loaf of bread. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what are we going to talk about on so, this fine evening? This fine this fine evening. Um, so, I think we should we should catch up on on our our motorcycle riding. Sure. And um, I kind of want to talk to you today about the AMA. Right. Let's let's do that. I am very interested in what you and, well, frankly, what I might have to retort to your <laughs> your musings about the AMA. I thought for a second that you were going to say, I'm very interested to hear what I'm going to say on this topic. <laughs> I could go I'm either way. by me. <laughs> no. People think I'm yep. very interesting. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, right. All right, so motorcycle stuff. We were both fortunate to be at the uh, Motocorsa track day yesterday, was it? It was yesterday. Yeah, it yeah, was yesterday. Wow. And um, I got to ride my new-to-me Multistrada street tires, like Dunlop, no, sorry, Michelin. Uh, I get them all mixed up. Pilot Road 4s. Lots of sipes. That's a Michelin, yeah. Lots of like little sipes. Like, so they get warm quick because they're all siped up, but they... Uh, they get a little greasy. I don't know. I still had fun. I wasn't out there for like the ripping and the tearing. It was more to, there was a few people I wanted to um, uh, follow and or be followed by and have some fun. Uh, just just relaxing, cruising around um, the nine corners of Portland International Raceway. I had a good time. You blew by me at some point in time on your R1. And just because there was, it the the. I was riding around in B group. I was going to say like, we should preface this was in, we were those guys yeah. in B group trying to get yeah. a extra track time. Cause I got there at noon because that's how I roll. I was doing it because all the, all the moto Corsicans that I wanted to play with yeah. are, are still in B group. And I'm on a bike that I went out in a group and I was fine getting strafed on the front straight by probably 20 to 30 miles an hour easily. Uh, cause a multi-strata just isn't fast and it's kind of a brick, uh, aerodynamically. Well, especially so. that era multi-strata. Sure. It's an air cool yeah. too. That's 85 horsepower on a good day. That's it. So it's not, there's not, and it's a big, it's a big bike. So in the corners, I had to kind of take it easy just cause I just didn't want to crash. I didn't want to crash. So had a lot of fun in the B and when you came, uh, by me and we were in Thunderdome, we oh, called man. this, this group Thunderdome. It was, uh, it was, I've, I've been in a lot of packed up groups before and i've seen i've seen exactly that before but it's been so long since i've had to deal with it like when i came on because i came on to the session late because i was having some issues getting my bike started surprise surprise but i watched i watched a train of bikes and you were in it of just 30 bikes all packed up together because no one could get around anyone in the turns going slow as christmas and it was just yeah you're just sitting there and, and we should preface like uh, PIR, there's no passing between turns seven and nine because of safety issues. Um, so it's easy to get kind of bunched up yeah. at those spots. And then you're kind of, you have to kind of straight away tough guy. But then, you know, B group is just littered with litter, uh, leader bikes that can, that dudes just 
power through. It's, it's kind of fun. I, I do love doing it is because I'm safe enough to understand what's going on. And I try not to do too many stupid things that make people uncomfortable. But being in the B group, trying to trying to follow any one of the people I was trying to follow, but then getting strafed by somebody on an R1 that could barely get into turn one faster than Wait, 35 miles an hour talking about me no okay. no okay. once you came by and then you were going in the group of people i was like if he gets if he gets kind of stuffed up there this is going to be rad sure enough you did and i made it back to you like for two laps i was able to kind of stay just because you poor bastard you were getting you know oh, stuck bad. it was brutal it was fun and it was it, fun to watch and i don't really like i'm very conscientious especially when i'm in a group like that i don't want to make hard passes because no, you sure. don't B group is the most dangerous in my mind because Easily. the 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 skill set is so wide. You have people that have just kind of come out of C group or maybe should be in C group, but they don't want to be because there's a stigma. And then you have guys that are you know just haven't quite made the bump to A yet, or they like staying in B group because they can be the fast guy in yep. the group. Yep. So you have this huge this huge delta of riders, and you just don't know which one you're coming up on each time. Yep. And uh, there was a few there's a few time guys or girls and I can't even remember who I got behind and like, there's just no holding the line. Like I was okay, I'm going to go on the outside of you. And then they would like drift out and like, okay, I'll come on the inside and they drift back in. I'm just, or I'm just going to take you in the safest spot I can. And that's your cross to bear when you're yeah. in that. Oh I yeah. I never get shitty or angry. Oh I just, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, um, just, um, we had a lot of crashers that day. I was just oh, glad not to be one of the crashers. I ran out of gas. You ran it was out of gas. really embarrassing. Yeah. Because I was on a Multistrata, so I was I hadn't even checked my gas. It's just a big gas tank. So I was like, oh, I'll be good. And I even went to go get gas, and there was none in one of the gas cans. I was like, I'll be all right. All right. Right before, sure enough, ran out of gas. Horrible. That, for me, was awesome, but it was back-to-back on something called the Felony Flat Track, which is... Uh, a wonderful event here in Southeast Portland, uh, put on by the Flying 15. This is, if you guys remember me talking about uh, racing the 80, uh, 250 and the six-hour endurance or whatever, I, uh, I was with a, a couple guys from this club called the Flying 15. They have a clubhouse. They put a flat track, like kind of a kidney bean-shaped TT track around their house and uh, open it up midday and just start mini bike racing. And there's really no defined rules. This is the most helter-skelter thing you could ever imagine. Uh, just run what you brung, random shit. So Briggs and Stratton engined, big wheeled, rigid framed bikes, um, 80 cc's, 50 cc's, 125's, you know, 125 like small bikes, 110's, uh, and you name it, CR70's, whatever. It, it's a it's an interesting dynamic, old, new, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You just go out there and, uh, a lot of beer is being drunk and punk music is being played while you're riding around and it, yeah, they sloppy Joe's were being made. My, my buddy Eric was, was tending the bar slash sloppy Joe station with a, I mean, seriously, like a paella level walk thing. I don't know what you call that pan, that pan, but like a pan, the size of that coffee table, it was unreal and i mean it was sloppy joe's man it was good it was really good so know how you kids like your sloppy joe's extra <laughs> sloppy <laughs> so good time i came in third in the final um i i, I need so, my own so, bike. so second loser yeah second loser absolutely i'll, I'll aim that i i just need my own bike I, I would like to have my own bike i think i could have been i could have been fighting oh, for the gonna, win man blame the machine is that yeah, what i'm hearing could have been fighting for the win uh, right all right <laughs> 
fighting for that trophy. So between two days of that, I mean, that actually sounds back to back Thunderdome, really. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And I didn't even stay. I, I can't hang these, these, these riders are hardcore. This group is hardcore. They're awesome. But after like seven o'clock, I'd been out there for a few hours. I heard they have really cool jackets. They do. They do. So after that, the hours, I just decided I'm out of here and, uh, and, uh, came home and had a nice evening. So two days of riding at the end of the season, essentially, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, let's move along. Yep. Because this is not the Two Tacos podcast. No, Although it isn't. That would be that yeah. would be a good podcast. Sure. I don't know what you do for content each week. Lengua. But <laughs> that's what be, I do for content. I'd probably be hungry afterwards. Yeah. Lengua tacos. <laughs> right. Yeah. So did you see this story about the AMA and E15 fuel that went out? Uh, I think it went out Friday, actually. I I saw the the boiling on the Facebooks of people posting the. The, you know, the kind of the call to action to, mm-hmm. to write your local congressman or, you know, sign the petition or whatever. And I kind of got it, but I didn't focus on it because I had other stuff going on. So please explain. So so it first came out in an AMA. Uh, well, the AMA every month does these news and notes, and it's basically just bullet points of things going on in the industry. And the very first one that they're bringing attention to is the uh, American Coalition for Ethanol trying to push for a minimum four-gallon fill-up out of gas pumps that are what we call blended pump. That's where the there might be only one nozzle or there might be only one gasoline nozzle, and out of that nozzle comes multiple grades of fuel. Uh, you see this more commonly with different octane ratings, but in certain areas it can be different octane and different ethanol. So you can have E15, E10, E85, all coming out of the same nozzle. Do we need to explain? I think, I, we, I think do. we need to explain what yeah. we're talking about here. Okay, so so you should understand in the, in the United States, and this is something that's very much a U.S. issue and not as much of a foreign issue. And this I is think something, we've covered it in the past, but I, I don't mind reiterating. No, I don't, think we did, I don't think we did ethanol. I think we did emissions. Okay. Um, so what it is, it's, it's, it's ethanol, it's, it's corn, it's, it's an alcohol made from corn that we add to our fuel for reasons that I cannot for fully no understand. good reason, yeah. period and stop. Yeah. No good reason. Yeah. I am, I am, I will say right now I am 100% with the AMA. Well, actually it was funny. I had an AMA spokesperson on the site today saying to me that the AMA has no position on ethanol. And I was just like, should. why, why don't you? That is one thing I think all motorists, all motorcyclists can get behind is the fact that ethanol serves no purpose other than supporting our corn growers. Failing corn growers. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. Well, you're subsidizing the stupidity of the the there's a whole great harvest. There's a whole part of this that we could talk about agriculture on a larger level. The, The boiled down version is we pay farmers not to grow certain crops we pay farmers to grow crops and not use them or to to not sell them we subsidize certain commodities like corn we have a very strong corn lobbying group so so that's what this is here is the american coalition for ethanol which is a corn farmer lobbying group that is pushing for this four gallon minimum and so the reasoning behind it uh oh i should i lost track on the on what ethanol is didn't i yeah sorry sorry so so E0, which doesn't really exist, but it, that's just raw gasoline. That's just one thing to know about. An easy way of, def- of defining that or to... Because there's zero ethanol. Right. 
so the number always indicates how much ethanol is in it. When we talk about like E10, that means it's 10% ethanol, 90% gasoline, E15, 50% ethanol, 85% gasoline. And then you have something like, um, there's like E30 and like some like weird grades, but the big one is E85, which is 85% ethanol. And you see that a lot, like that's quote unquote flex fuel. And so you saw like the American car manufacturers, um, have some flex fuel vehicles. Yep. And it's usually the cheapest the cheapest thing at the pump, which, you know, if you were just going on a price basis, might be good. Like price per tank, it's going to be the cheapest. But there's tons of inefficiencies. And the bigger issue is it wreaks havoc on the internals of a motor, which is probably something you can speak to more than I can. Yeah, well, it wreaks havoc. I wouldn't say on the internals of the motor as much as it is. Well, I mean, like the, the, the yeah, fuel the, system. Anything rubber, basically. Yeah, so the fuel systems... Uh, specifically carburetors, this stuff. And I would love to know the chemistry of it. I don't really understand it, but for many years now, California was doing this, California, Arizona was doing this 20, 30 years ago in either winter or summer. I I can't remember what the the convenient time for them to add this for quote-unquote emissions was. I think it was winter. Um, So we were experiencing it back in the 90s even, where the carbs would start gumming up in weird ways, much easier than they had in the past. Uh, you'll you'll end up with weird deposits, varying colors of stuff. Nowadays, it's this green fuzz you'll often see, or white deposits you'll often see, and you never know what's what, right? You're just kind of assuming that some part of the, the gas that's leaving this, whereas if it was a purer form of gasoline, then it wasn't there. You just wouldn't encounter these issues at all. It degrades rubber on a high level. So any, any carburetor has a few different rubber parts in it, various, and it depends on the carburetor. It depends on the bike. Fuel uh, injected bikes have various rubber parts in them, whether that be internal fuel lines, fuel pumps that have the, you know, gaskets or whatnot. And this stuff just seems to I mean, if, if the parts are made for it, even parts that are made for it seem to degrade over time in it. It's very difficult to, to get a, uh, a part that will work in gasoline, but also work well with ethanol over time. And it's, it's been doing a lot of damage. That's, that's one part of it. They also gets into plastic fuel tanks. So if you have any dirt bike or any, um, well, a lot of, frankly, European road bikes, BMWs, KTMs, Ducatis, Aprilias, anything that's out of Moto Guzzi's. I first witnessed a swollen fuel tank, a plastic swollen fuel tank in 2000. I, I remember because it, it was on a Moto Guzzi V11 Sport and the uh, fuel petcocks on either side were really close to the uh, throttle um, stops. And when the tank swole, it would actually hold the throttle open. At, That's scary. It was. And I remember coming off the freeway one time in the high idling, and it was a bit of a freak out. And I, 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 it took me a while to f- figure out what, what was causing it. But you'd see the fuel pet cock was rubbing on the, on the linkage. Oh, anyway, that was the first time I saw it. Not long after that, we had some Aprilia where the, um, the tank had become, the, the, the fuel pump flange had come unbonded and you know warped and you started seeing this in the early 2000s and you know the freaking companies kept on making these plastic tanks without the proper setups because in europe they this don't have this issue. yeah and it doesn't their fuel's fine fuel in europe smells 
really good. I know it's just perfume. I get that there's different perfumes, but I often wonder if that gut-wrenching, gross smell of American fuel now, it's something to do with the ethanol in the mix. Because when you, if you spill gas in a rental, I've, I've had rental cars there, it, you just smell it. It just smells sweet and nice, not horrible and chemically. It's no, it's a, the, that's the socialism. It's the, yeah. it's the socialism. Yeah, it's, just the socialism. It's, sweet, it's sweet and nice, right? Yeah. It's just sweet and nice. <laughs> so interesting stuff. But it, but Come to our side, comrade. It, it's horrible, and it and it wreaks havoc on anything with a carburetor. So your weed whacker or your chainsaw or uh, your leaf blower or whatever you have that is small and has a piston engine. I'm not saying it doesn't also affect piston rings, cylinders, right? There could be part of that because ethanol, yeah, any alcohol is bad news when when you're dealing with it with any metal right? yeah you're burning something in the engine that wasn't really designed for it now we should say that that most modern vehicles now are designed or at least are authorized to use e10 gasoline <clears throat> or e10 fuel which is 10 percent ethanol um but that's not to say that it's the best thing for them no sure no i, I don't think so so, so that kind of gets us to where we are now with the ethanol lobby basically saying to their retailers, just recommending, hey, if you dispense fuel from a blended pump uh, that has different grades of ethanol fuel in it, there is uh, a certain amount of fuel that gets stuck in the hose and in the nozzle and in the system that's going to come out that may be a different grade or a different fuel than what the purchaser is selecting. So the idea is if you fill up with at least four gallons of fuel, it will average out enough that whatever was in that pump, if it was E10 and you're trying to fill up with E15 or vice versa, that the ethanol rating um, will wash out to be what it's supposed to be after four gallons. And it kind of makes common sense. And that was kind of what I was arguing on asphalt and rubber. The AMA is making a bigger issue out of this. And this is something that's gone back to 2012 where they've kind of already seen this issue with minimum um, fill-up volumes. And it was quickly, the EPA kind of quickly backed down from it once they realized like, hey, you know, motorcycles have like three-gallon tanks and smaller sometimes. How are you supposed to have a minimum four-gallon fill-up? And one of the things that came from that that was, I think, really good was if you have blended pumps, that is pumps that have multiple ethanol grades coming out of the same nozzle, you have to also then have an E10 uh, nozzle that is separate. So that's already law. So that's where I kind of had this like thing of this issue with this AMA call to action, this AMA Bolton, because they're making a really big deal about this four gallon minimum fill up and saying like, hey, you know, the EPA and the corn lobby, they're trying to pull a fast one on us again. And we thought we got rid of this in 2012 and we you know now it's coming back up and we got to rise together as motorcyclists to stop it. And it's like, well, there's no real issue here for motorcyclists because if you, you know, blended pumps, first of all, really aren't that common. And second of all, by law, we already say, hey, if you have a blended pump, you have to have a separate pump as well for, for motorists that don't want E15 uh, or can't have E15 because it should be pointed out that no motorcycle and no ATV by law should be filled up with E15. Yeah. Um, so that should the, be only for flex fuel vehicles. Is that what you're saying? It's flex fuel and newer vehicles. I don't. I don't know if E15 falls under the flex fuel nomenclature. I've always seen it as E85. Yeah. But that's because I lived in Pennsylvania and that was the only. Yeah. You either had E10 or E85, and there was no like 30 or 40, and like some of these like weird blends that kind of seem to happen in in places where they grow corn. 
It's weird. Huh. What do you know? What do you know, right? Huh. But for me, like, I I had a couple interactions with people and I said, this is a non-issue. This is a bullshit issue. This is a scare you into joining the AMA issue because there is no issue here. Uh, I can still fill up my bike with E10 anywhere in the nation, no matter if this recommendation goes through. If people abide by this recommendation, it will not affect me one iota in my ability to get E10 gas. Um, A four-gallon minimum seems like a pretty good recommendation when you consider that most most pumps are filling up cars. This is going to affect cars. Uh, Blended pumps are going to affect cars. And making them fill up with at least four gallons makes sure makes sure that they are getting the ethanol blend that they actually desired to purchase. That makes sense to me. Uh, if it's really an issue, I mean, there is no issue for motorcyclists. That's, that's my thing. That's the thing I keep coming back to. There's no issue here for motorcyclists. The motorcyclists will always have the ability to go to a dedicated pump. If they want to use a blended pump and have a tank that's larger than four gallons and need to fill up with more than four gallons, this is a non-issue then as well. Because once you start doing the math, you start realizing like at four gallons, even if that full quart of of fuel that gets stuck in the pump because that's what maximum about a quart of fuel gets gets left behind even if you you fill all the way up the averaged out blend is like e 10.1 or something like that yeah you know and if and then of course every gallon more you put in it's gonna yeah blend it down even further and like i don't think you can make a really strong case that there's a big difference between e10 and e10.1 or e10.3 in terms of what yeah. it's going to do to your engine internals so i don't i don't get it and i don't really this is one of those issues for me and this is i think we're going to have the debate i this is this is the reason i'm not an ama member like this kind of bullshit right here because i just look at like the resources that the ama uses and i look at it as like just you know why don't you as the ama have an anti-ethanol stance that would be in the interest of every motorcyclist why don't you make lane splitting when your number one priority is because that would benefit Every motorcyclist. I don't understand why the AMA gets behind uh, the the freedom argument of of not wearing a helmet and then petitions states and and leverages its weight in legislative areas where helmet laws will get repealed on this idea that it should be up to your choice. And they do this kind of like they talk out of both their ends where it's like we we encourage motorcyclists to wear a helmet, but we defend your right not to wear one. Well, that's just fucking bullshit. And truthfully, does nothing positive for this industry, does nothing positive for motorcyclists, does nothing to help bring uh, or I should say keep motorcyclists safe and in this industry and does nothing to change our perception to the general public as us riding murder cycles because the fucking death rate when we get in a crash is astronomically high because Lo and behold, people aren't wearing helmets. Yep, and I'm, I can't I can't debate it too hard. Other than, I mean, the reason if you're asking the reason, it's because Harley Davidson. Period. Right. So there. That comes back to that outlier argument, right? Well, what do you mean? What's the outlier? I think we talked about this one or two shows ago, where how Harley Davidson is a very interesting entity. And on the one hand, it accounts for one in two new bikes sold in the U.S. every yep. year. But on the other hand. In every dimension, other than the fact that there are people on motorcycles, Harley-Davidson riders aren't really motorcyclists. And I don't mean that in a shitty way, and I don't mean that yeah. in any sort of put down. Okay. It's just it is they are they are one thing and everything else in the industry, everyone else in the industry is different. Harley-Davidson rider is very different than a mo- than a BMW rider and a Ducati rider and a Honda rider. And they you can have overlap between the two, but Harley-Davidson is very much its own little thing. 
and it's and it's kind of outside the standard deviation of everything else that's going on. And that culture for many many moons is well, I don't want to wear a helmet. I want to be out in the wind, America, right? Freedom and not being told what to do, right? So that uh, plays to the Harley ethos over the course of time, and it has done, and it can will continue to do so because that one in two bikes is is a Harley. That's why. So the money grab for the AMA, I guess, you know, membership wise, dwindling membership wise, probably is, um, is, is making sure that those people are happy. Right. So don't you feel that that's a, a big part of it? Yeah. I look at this. Okay. So I should back up a little bit and say, you know, my personal interaction with, with the AMA and groups like this, there is a very strong vocal minority of riders that are very focused on this certain type of motorcycling. I don't know how to describe it better than that, but it's the, I don't want my helmets. I want my loud pipes saving lives. I want to be able to not have ethanol or whatever. You want to be able to ride and but, but they're very, party and not be hassled by the man. There, There is a very strong libertarian group of motorcyclists. Yes. Yeah. In and every I, sect of motorcycling, right? Not just the Harley set. No, and it's not just the Harley set, but there's there's something about motorcycles that that brings out a very strong libertarian streak. We have a very strong uh, libertarian, I would say, a disproportionate number of libertarian motorcyclists. There's something about motorcycles, and there's something about guns that brings out these libertarian and I, leaning I think people. The independence of the motorcycle. Right. I think plays to that. You're an independent entity. You are a single vehicle. You're one thing. And it, it, play, it, it goes it, it goes right back to that freedom argument. Libertarianism is all about personal freedom. Motorcycles for some people is all about a, is a personal freedom thing. Yeah. And they just go hand in hand. It's 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 part and parcel. I agree with it. And I think I think what what has happened and especially with the aging demographic that we have going on in the US and which is due in part to the aging demographic that we have in Harley Davidson. Again, remember that Harley is one half of this industry yeah by volume is that we're seeing this this leaning and i i think we can see this 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 leaning on a larger issue in, in the united states and i don't want to get too political with it and go down that rabbit hole too far but there's there's a larger trend that's playing out here that we're seeing as well in the motorcycle industry and i think it's been interesting to watch the ama and i actually liken the ama a lot to like the republican party where you see them getting hijacked by this this minority group I liken like the libertarian writers to how the Tea Party has interacted with yeah, sure. the GOP. Sure. And, it, and it, I think they're kind of similar demographics, to be yeah, honest. Sure. So it's been really interesting to see. And I think I think both groups are having a hard time doing that balancing act of like, okay, well, here's our vocal base that is demanding one thing. And, you know, it's kind of hard to appeal to others on other issues. And that's why we see the AMA being so strong in anti-helmet laws and personal freedom issues and, and things like that. But I think it's at their detriment sometimes. And I think it turns off people like myself. They're like, you know what? I think every motorcyclist should wear a helmet. I think it should be mandated. I think it should be just like a seatbelt in a car. It just makes perfect sense. And I don't care if that um, goes against your thoughts on what freedom is, but I think we need to reevaluate what we mean when we say freedom in that context. Because I don't remember seeing that in the Bill of Rights. I don't remember seeing that in the Constitution. Oh, man. I can, I can feel... My libertarian friends, right? blood boiling right? through the microphone. It percolates. It percolates. It, and it's and this is a huge. This is a huge issue in the motorcycle community, but it's a huger issue in society at large right now. And that's that's what I find very interesting, just from a sociological perspective. And it's the, for me, it's almost exactly the same as gun stuff, right? I, 
for me that that's it, it smacks of it it feels of it so when i as a gun owner and a gun enthusiast that likes to shoot guns and play with guns and take guns apart and put them back together and likes the mechanical aspect of it and the, the sound and the bang and all that crap but me being able to go down as i did and buy a gun cold within five minutes 15 minutes whatever long it took for them to run the check and just leave with a nine millimeter Glock 34. It boggled my mind then, and it boggles my mind now, and I don't think it's right. So it's the same type of thing. It's tough for people to hear that, where I, yes, I feel I should be able to own that gun, but I also feel like I should have had live fire exercises for at least half a day in gun control class that's not just a you know pandering thing, right? So between that and the... Uh, the ability to go buy a thousand cc sport bike cold as any age, whatever. If you got the money, you can do that. I don't think it's right, and I think that's something. And we've ha- we've talked about this, and you've you've not been too stoked on the stepped licensing system in the states. But that's one thing I feel the AMA should be trying to figure out. I think that's I'm I'm for a step license uh, in general. I, I like that as a like from a theoretical point of view. Tiered licensing, absolutely. Implementing it is very difficult. It is a lot easier to give something than it is to take something away. We've already opened the door, and this is this is this comes right back to the gun argument. We've already opened the door to making something easy to get. Taking that back yeah. is very, very difficult. And that's the hardest thing that I have with the tier licensing, where it's just like if you're gonna do tier licensing for bikes, you probably should do it for cars or we should have a more appropriate learner system. I mean, there's, there's a whole thing on a transportation level that we could be doing better in the US, but because we are a highway society in the sense that when you turn 16, you get a car if you can afford it. Like there's very, our, our society is built upon the idea that you can get around by four wheels. We're not very strong on public transit. We're not very, I mean, we live in Portland, so we've got these weird green lanes for bicycles, but understand that it's very outside the norm when it comes to the typical American city. It's hard to get around by bus. It's hard to get around by train. Oh man, you can't even get across this country by train in a timely manner. I've taken the train from Seattle to San Francisco. It takes 22 hours. That's insane balls. takes me hmm, 12 hours if I'm booking it by car. Yeah. Half the time. Yeah. (sighs) Come on. Yeah takes me two hours and change by plane it'd be be interesting to see what it would it take to get from london to rome by train right yeah you it would depend on a couple things but you could definitely do high speed rail for a lot of that uh tjv from london to paris and that's what i'm saying it would be worth looking into because it's a that would be a hideously complex route compared to you could do it in a day i guarantee you could do it in a day i bet you could yeah. and it'd be hideously complex to figure out train to train to train but I still don't think it would be that bad i think it'd be like it's, it's probably going to be one or two high-speed trains and maybe one or two connector trains yeah well that's a beautiful thing and a lot of americans man they just hate that they hate the fact that somebody like me would be like no we should have a really comprehensive train system and be really good ah oh, it's gonna cost too much america tax dollars america right and like oh Meanwhile, we just keep burning gas and these big trucks and uh Well, we have a very it's a very complicated issue. And it's funny because I just finished watching um Hell on Wheels, which was great for the first two seasons and then it got really horrible. But it's about the building of the Trans American Railroad. Yeah. But we, we what I think people don't realize, and this is what makes America very unique, we don't own the rail lines. The rail lines are all commercial. Yeah. So like when Amtrak is going from place to yeah. place, 
it's not that the Amtrak train was so slow that it took 22 hours yep. to get from Seattle to San Francisco. Yep. It's because we had to sit on the rail for eight hours because a Union Pacific or whatever yep. commercial train had priority on the rail and was bringing, you know, whatever it was bringing, commercial goods, industrial goods on on, uh, on the train line. Yeah, sure. And my call to action would be a really bitchin' setup that utilizes the area above highways to build a levitated train well that's right? the, that's the hyperloop thing that elon yeah. musk wants to do that's sure. the the high-speed rail that they're trying to put together in california Makes which sense. is going to be which could be really good and then you like you start looking where the line actually goes and you're like do we we're going to just go through like bakersfield and salinas like all the places that people don't go to well as long as it goes from la to san francisco right isn't that the key i think it does go to from la to san francisco but it doesn't go along the coast so, like, you're going to leave out, like, San Luis Obispo. You're going to leave out Monterey. You're going to leave out some places that I think most people would travel to. Whereas, like, like I don't need to take the train from Sacramento to Bakersfield. Like, there's just, is there a high demand for that? I don't know. Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a high demand from L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah, so that and makes I think sense. that would drive the rest of it. But there's I feel like there's some pork belly going on there. Yeah. Some pork barrel. I like pork belly. I like pork belly, but I think the term is pork barrel. Sure. <laughs> there's a there's a restaurant on 23rd called Grassa or La oh, Grassa. Oh man, so good. Yeah, we did. Oh, the, oh that's right. It was yeah. after our Alta trip. It was the dirt bike oh. trip. I was like, dude, we need to get this, and it's it's mac and cheese with pork belly on top, and I, I it's meat candy. It's like little little bits of meat. It's candy. like they, they caramelized the oh, pork belly man. and the cheese. I felt oh. so sick afterwards, <laughs> no, but it was so gut, good. It's a bit of a gut bomb, a oh, bit. Man. Like you kind of, you're wise to meter it half, even though you could totally eat the whole thing. You're wise to meter in half, but those little this tasty is why little I have meat like candies. A, a John McGinnis writing shape, and not like a <laughs> know, right? Jorge Lorenzo writing shape. <laughs> Because I indulge in things like that. Pork belly. Pork belly. Pork barrel, right? I'm sorry if I can't remember the exact. I mean, that's when uh, that's when a legislator kind of stuffs their their district with a bunch of bullshit. Exactly. Like just trying to get money grab. Money. That's why I say like it feels kind of pork barely because it's like like Bakersfield. Like why does Bakersfield need a high speed rail? Like Bakersfield's a big town. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to I don't want to slam Baco for anything. But it is where dreams go to die. (laughs) So and you and if you live in Bakersfield. You know, you know, you're aware. You're aware. You got Button Willow, so I'll give you that. You got Button Willow, nah. but dreams go to die. Yeah, and that's you know they call Ventura Bakersfield by the sea. <laughs> Ventura's okay. Ventura's <laughs> Ventura's all right. I'm not gonna get too uppity on Ventura. It's no Oxnard. That's maybe for that's sure. maybe that's what they call Bernard. Bakersfield by sea is Oxnard. Yeah, I just like Oxnard because if you live in Oxnard, you should call yourself a Nard dog. <laughs> But then you got Highway 33 right there, and that's paradise. So I can't, I can't front. No, I can't that front. whole area is actually pretty rad, but oh, it's kind of best kept secret style yeah, if we you can live we there. We shouldn't right? tell people. I know. No, stop it. Shh. Don't go up Highway 33. It's no, no fun. But can you imagine a, a a rail line that went across the Siskiyous up to from California to Portland to Seattle? I mean, it would be an impressive thing to be able to do that high speed. And I, I just, you know, I think of all those cars, all the probably hundred times I've gone up and down the freaking I five corridor going to the Bay area. Yeah. It's just, it just seems like, you know, the, whatever industries supply that tires, fuel cars, just burning up resources, burning yeah. them up and burning them up and burning them up. It's right? never, it's never going to happen. It's I never going to happen. I know it's kind of in our DNA. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to get off that for a second and ask you some questions. 
Okay. So so you're an AMA member. I am. Do you want to know why? I Bef- do. I think I know why, but why don't you tell everyone? All right. The the reason I be I'm I've never been a club person. I've always actually been anti organized stuff. I just have been. I don't know why. Because you're a free spirit. Yeah. Okay. You're sassy like that. I'm, I'm a free spirit, right? Um. <laughs> so Portland. Jeez. He's just a free spirit, yeah, man. man. He's just. Beating into the sound of his own drummer. Yeah, I don't know if that's Portland. Anyway, so I just was if reticent. Your name's Willow, and you're down in Hawthorne. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I became one in order to race AHMRA, the American Historic Motorcycle Racing Organization. No, ARMA. ARMA. AHMRA. I don't even know. American Historic. I thought there was two A's in it. Maybe. Oh, yeah. <sighs> oh. That's so sad. Yeah, you're gonna. He's gonna look it up. So, I had to race Arma for some reason. Like I, it was like there was a 125 race. Oh no, you totally had it. A H R A H R M A. Right. And what is that? What does it stand for? American, American Historic, Historic Racing Motorcycle Association. Association. Okay, yeah, that's what I had wrong. So National Brotherhood. Yeah. So that I I in order to race my 125 at Willow Springs had to become an AMA member. And I did, and I was like, I'm not bothered. 35 bucks a year, or 25, or whatever it was back in 1999 or 2000. I was like, all right, I'll do that, whatever. And then you know, you get the magazine, and I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. I had written a very, um, I had written an article for the school paper, Pasadena City College, in probably 98 or 99, about helmet laws because it was something that interested me, and I became very um, anti, um, I was, I pro helmet law. I'll say I was pro helmet law after doing some research on it and, and watching or getting, understanding what a bait is, A B A T E. I forget. We, a brotherhood against the tyrannical intrusions or uh, we've looked this up and we've had it on the podcast before. So a bait is an organization that just is, they, they're constantly trying to abolish helmet laws everywhere they go. Right. And that diving into it, especially in the LA area, because it had been, you know, once free and now is no longer free to, to, uh, uh, not wear a helmet. Um, it was of interest to me. And I had just come from Texas where they had just taken away the helmet law. And I lived in Arizona where there was no helmet law. And I rode one time. I remember taking my helmet off on the 10 freeway going from like Mesa back up to back up to where I lived in Deer Valley or whatever the heck that was and on the other side of Phoenix and riding for a while. A brotherhood against totalitarian enactments. Oh yeah, totalitarian enactments. So I remember taking my helmet off, riding for a while on the freeway and saying, screw that, that is the stupidest thing ever and just put the helmet back on and never, never stopped, right? Every once in a while, I'm known to ride around a little bit without a helmet on, you know, I don't know, dirt biking or something and it just feels so horrible and i know i've hit my head enough times i've i've it's done it's not even it's not even in my thought process it's like helmets yes not no no full face not even a question so for me getting into the ama i i had already done that research but i didn't really think much of it from the ama standpoint i didn't really understand how much they were into it i just knew they made the magazine and to me, it was a it was an organization that helped racing, right? So I felt that my money going towards it was helping the racing side because it was AMA Pro Racing. AMA was the AMA is the AMA, right? And for like 
that that was a big deal to me. So I just stayed. And then I just kept on sending in my money every year. And now I just do it every three years. I'll send in like 70 bucks or whatever it is just to keep it because you get the cute little pin. That's the biggest thing. You get the little pin that says you're 11 or 12 or 15 years or whatever. That's the most important part, right? You put it on your jacket and you show that you've been an AMA member. I'm not even kidding. It's funny how many people are like into that. Like that's a thing. So oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't, now I just do it. I, I feel that they do enough to make sure. So for me, it'd be riding areas, even though I am, it, I'm a conundrum because I grew up with a very liberal, very um, ecologically friendly father who is a, a PhD biologist. So having biological diversity and places that are um, free of human interference are, are critical to me, but so is having a place for me to go ride a motorcycle and have other people be able to go hike and fish and ride horses and you know experience the outdoors. So I think we have to have both. You have to have a, a, a balance between the two. So I don't mind the Sierra Club because they have to fight against some of the, the, the evils, which are usually corporate interests that are dealing with money, whether it be you know, logging or minerals or mineral rights yeah. or shit like that. And I know how small of a footprint that we as motorcyclists get. So I want to see as much support as possible to make sure those riding areas are, are still around. And yeah, we're going to have to deal with some people that, that don't like, you know, the, the fact that we're riding around where there's desert tortoises or, you know, quail, some, some ptarmigan or something that's out there. And I get that it, it's a problem. I'd, I'd want to see both sides, though. I think that there's going to be plenty of room for the desert tortoises to have a certain area and for us to be able to brappity-brap. I know it's tough. I know how difficult it is. And I, I know a, a lot of people, especially in SoCal, that just lament and moan about all the riding that they used to be able to do, and some up here. But I don't know. I'm fine with the amount of riding we have uh, available to us in Oregon. And once you go east, forget about it. You've got, you've got like so much that but but that, i'm going off i'm going off i'm sorry that's why i felt that the ama was doing that so i don't mind if they're doing some numbskull literally and figuratively um helmet loss stuff as long as they're doing some of the other things that are good and you know like what is it checkpoint stuff like motorcycle only checkpoints yep which i think they're is good about that um I, I i will give the ama credit for them for fighting uh nitsa on the motorcycle only checkpoint funding the helmet one's the one that really gets me and this ethanol one I, if they were doing it the right way you would be if, if they were saying we are against ethanol period instead of having some asshole from iowa minnesota Wherever you know, Iowa, Nebraska. I think it's 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 Iowa, Illinois, and shoot, there's definitely one, there's Minnesota. One. I'm going to tell you Minnesota because I passed one of those plants in Minnesota near Mankato. I was like, "What is that? That's a fucking ethanol plant." It was bizarro. I'd never Minnesota's I, number four. Nebraska's number three. Yeah, it's it's Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Indiana are really the lion's share of corn production. Who's your Who's your daddy? Yeah, ethanol. Huh. Um, fucking horrible. I, the AMA for me, I just feel like, like I look at this 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 issue here, this particular instance where it's like called it, like they sent out a call to action. That's what really got my ire. They sent out a call to action to their membership to write into their 
their legislators and be like, hey, we need to stop the EPA from from bringing back this four-gallon minimum. It's like, well, first of all, it's not the EPA that's doing anything. It's the American Coalition for Ethanol, which is an, a lobbying group for the corn <sighs> people yeah. that's making a recommendation. So the EPA is just like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? And second, this, this recommendation affects motorcycles in, in no way that is discernible. The only argument that that carries any weight is that if we make E15 easier to purchase, it could mean that E10 is harder to find. But the way the law is written right now, there has to be an E10 or better pump available, period. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as that law is there, like, do we really care what's going on with blended uh, fuel pumps? I sure as hell don't. So then and you feel this is just a scare tactic, just to drum up membership. Membership or? was low. We're not meeting our goals. Let's put out a, a call to action that makes it look like we're doing something. Yeah. And that's the part that kind of gets really, that I get really shitty about. And I also get really shitty, obviously, about the, the helmet stuff. But what I was curious to hear from you is whether or not you thought that AMA represented your interests no. as a motorcyclist. No, they don't. They, I feel they, uh, they represent the previous generations. Uh, of of motorcyclists that are phasing out and different cultures are coming in and different mindsets are here and they're going to be here to stay. It's going to take a, a, even though there is this libertarian bend and I feel it, it definitely helps with them. That's, that's who they're going for. And that frankly is a lot of well, my motorcycling friends. They're vocal. Like, you know, yeah. that, it, it might be a minority, yeah. but it's a vocal minority. That, so I get that's it. Issue. Sure. I get, I get why you, you cater to them on certain levels and I get why that can then in turn lead to a small minority group hijacking a majority organization. Yeah. We're seeing as, we, as we're seeing with the abate people in the AMA, just as we're seeing with the tea party. They're, and the Republican they're party. master abaters. Have you seen? So you go down to the one show in Portland every year. Yeah, they've got the little. They've got oh, you should have gone. They've got the little outside pavilion where like people are like selling stuff. There, there's an abate tent. Yeah, sure. Where you can sign up for your your local abate chapter. I'm not going to say anything other than if you're in Portland for the one show, just make it a point to stop by that tent and just observe with your sociological lens. (laughs) All I'm going to say. It is okay. the best people watching in Portland, period, which I think says a lot. That you, to Trust him. That is a, that is a thing. That's of, of note that if you, can, if you can find a sect of people in one spot in Portland that's fascinating, and you can't, and ignoring the rest of the weirdos that are surrounding them, yeah, yeah. if they stick out. Master abaters. Master abaters. So I will say, and I've had, a, I've had a lot of conversations with the AMA about it, and it's good that they actually have a dialogue uh, going on, so I'll give them. I'll give them full credit for that. When you say that, because they're responding to your article on your website, I get personal emails and I get public messages left so they're, by they're AMA representatives. Yeah, so it's on the radar, and they definitely are interested in the dialogue. And the best thing I've heard from the AMA that at least gives me faith is the idea that they say, "Hey, every year we poll our members, we ask them what issues are important to them, and we use that to set our agenda for the next year." and when members keep showing up and saying, hey, I don't want there to be helmet laws. I don't want there to be ethanol in my fuel pump. I don't want there to be motorcycle-only checkpoints. The AMA has got X amount of dollars, and they apportion those dollars based on these kind of surveys. Well, So, so there becomes this debate, and I think it's, I think it's valid, of saying like, hey, you know, people like me who aren't AMA members because I don't yeah. agree with the AMA – Get with the program, become part of the solution, join the AMA, and then yeah. change the voice, change the priority. Yeah. 
and somebody like me who's in it, but kind of passively, I should probably dig in. Like you say, they've been polling. I haven't gotten a fucking poll. Do I have to, is it, is it something that I have to go to, to seek out to say, Hey, I want to have my voice or is it something that they could have a lot easier sent to me? Or am I ignoring it in the mail? Because you're probably ignoring it. That's what I want. My my understanding that it's a mailer. And if it is, then, you know, 1982, right? That's the year of the van I own. Screw that. Like, so now make it easier, have it on your Facebook page, put it out there to where it's easy access and email, make sure people understand that this is a, that you, you need to be able to vote on these things and get those of us who are silent majority, which I think there is a lot. Cause I know a lot of my motorcycling friends who aren't libertarian bizarros that Gary Johnson voters, right? I, I know a lot of them that aren't, I know plenty that are rational, logical human beings that well, want some freedom maybe here and there, right? You say that there's there's nothing wrong with the theory of libertarianism. I get that. It's just how people want to implement it that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. Because if you want to get if you want to get true about like truthful libertarian values, libertarian values basically say like you should be able to have whatever personal freedoms there are available in the world as long as it doesn't impinge on the personal freedoms from someone else. Yeah. And this is where the helmet argument really runs afoul of that idea. If you're a true libertarian, you should believe this idea of like your personal freedoms shouldn't run afoul of someone else's. That's the number one cornerstone principle of libertarianism. Sure. What we've come to understand for libertarianism is that it just means less government, which isn't, which isn't necessarily true. So when you start looking at anti-helmet laws and what they do to the total cost of society, you're yeah. increasing healthcare costs, you're cr- increasing the burden on society by not having this law. If you're a true libertarian, you should be for helmet laws. Not because of the personal freedom, like I want to be able to choose whether or not to wear a helmet, but because, hey, when you don't wear a helmet, it actually burdens the rest of us. So there's that argument to be made. The interesting thing, though, with the AMA and this idea of like, hey, we poll our members is it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And my always my reaction has always been, well, that makes the AMA a reactionary organization that makes the AMA subject to. Uh, the whims of whatever vocal minority or whatever vocal majority shows up. And that's that can be dangerous. Uh, the, the tyranny of the majority can exist. A vocal minority can skew results. My biggest criticism of the AMA and why I'm not a member is I don't see any leadership there. If it's being steered by the masses, then, you know, by definition, it's rudderless. So what we really need in this industry is, is good leadership. I think I think the American motorcycling landscape is devoid of strong leadership. We don't have it at the MIC, and we don't have it at the AMA, and we don't have any other groups that are sitting here and being the good stewards of the sport and the good stewards of this recreational activity, this transportation, this form of transportation, or just this lifestyle, other than maybe Hollywood. MIC being the Motorcycle Industry Council, if you're not aware of what that is, do a quick lookup of it. It's worth understanding that that exists right they basically represent the business interest yeah, of the yeah. of the motorcycle industry but the, i just want to make sure the listenership understands it because it's one of those things that unless you're really in it you probably wouldn't yeah. pay much attention to it yeah but it's a big thing right it's a it's a notable thing just about every oem uh every manufacturer is a part of the mic and they collect a lot of data and they charge you a mint to have access to it i remember when i started asphalt and rubber they wanted fifteen thousand a year for me to have access to their database which I thought was a little silly, which is a little silly, but I digress. It seems scummy. Well, they got to make the they got to make a buck somehow. Yeah, it makes sense when you're like 
Honda and you're like, hey, do you want to have access to all the industry data? Okay, cool. Can you pay us like a huge chunk of change? Yeah, That's sure. really important to your business. Yeah. Okay, cool. Jensen Bueller is like the blogger on Asphalt and Rubber. Maybe give me a freebie. Uh, yeah, I get it. I would imagine though that you could get a, they could have an apportioned amount of information for journalistic entities for the greater good of knowledge of industry. Right? You would think so. You'd think so. You'd think I, so. But I, I mean, I guess that's my egalitarian mind. Is that the right word? Just kind of like general. Egalitarian or egalitarian? Egalitarian? Egalitarian. Legalitarian? Not legal. You're, that's a, you're a legalitarian, right? <laughs> okay. So, yeah, those those entities, as you say, should be for the greater good. And they're not. They're not. That, and that's my issue. That would be my issue. Like, the, I think... I think there's a really good argument to be made, and I, and we had a listener point this out to us. I think it was Kyle, actually, saying, like, you know, if every 20-something that rode a motorcycle joined the AMA, it could materially change how that organization yeah. works. Sure. And that's true, and that's valid, and you're right. But there's just nothing I've seen from the AMA that says, like, hey, we're going to be the leaders of this. We're going to represent the motorcyclist interest because they do things that I don't think are in the best interest of motorcycling. I don't think... Uh, repealing helmet laws is good for the motorcycle industry. I don't think it's good for motorcyclists. And I mean that on two levels. I mean that in the most basic level where it's like you're encouraging or you're making it possible for motorcyclists not to wear a helmet. They're going to crash. They're going to get really hurt. They could die. Sure. That's bad for motorcyclists. But also it's bad for motor motorcyclists on a perception level. We have a huge perception problem when it comes to riding motorcycles in the United States. It's yep. bad for motorcyclists in, and it's bad for the motorcycle industry in the sense of just keeping the motorcyclists that we create. So like, you know, think about these, these kids that are younger and they see a motorcycle go by and they think that's, wow, that's cool. And you know, the stars align that when they turn 16 or 18 or whatever age and they get a, their first motorcycle and they become a motorcyclist. And like think of all the energy and all the, the just probability and chance that goes into making that happen. And then to have them die because they weren't wearing a helmet, all that's just wasted. You know, we want to keep motorcyclists in motorcycling as long as we can because that makes the industry stronger and that makes our lobbying power stronger and that makes our industry more robust. That makes it a bigger part of the economy. That means there's more, more motorcyclists on the road. So we get, you know, a greater population density on the roadways, which means cars are going to notice us more often because, you know, yeah. if, if – yeah. If one out of five vehicles on the road was a motorcycle, I guarantee you car drivers would see, and I'm using the quotes there, motorcycles more often. But because we live in a uh, automobile world, when we check our mirrors, we're looking for another car. We're looking for a truck. We're looking for a big road. We're not looking for a motorcycle. And we don't look in our mirrors. And we don't make our traffic patterns as if motorcycles were there. And that's the full stop on why motorcycles, um, when we see crash data, there's there's this box that like the 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 officer ticks like did not see motorcyclist and I think the industry is hijacked the thing like oh we need to have high vis they didn't see me I need to have my headlight flash and all this it's like no I think the bigger issue is like when I look at my mirror I'm not looking for a motorcyclist and I'm not realizing like hey I checked my mirror and then I waited yeah. ten seconds before I changed my lane and there's no way a car is going to be in that blind spot now because a car just doesn't move that way but a motorcycle sure does and boom next thing you know I've cut off a motorcycle it's almost victim blaming it's almost mentality uh where you're like you're the motorcyclist it's on it's on you because i feel that's that that's how i feel it is on us it is on me to pretend like i am invisible like i have to assume that i am invisible like i am wonder woman yeah. flying around and in, in the invisible thing whatever that was was it a jet or a helicopter or something oh yeah. her, no her, her lasso no. no her lasso made you tell the truth yeah no i'm not a big i'm not a big 
comic fan. I neither am I. Just I remember, about. you know, I don't remember the actress's name, but she was really hot. The dark hair, right? So I remember her being in the. It was the America bodysuit. That's what did it for me. Well, you. that certainly is good, Mark. That's just patriotic, right? I, it is. It's patriotism. That's not misogynistic. At the that's just patriotic. <laughs> Let's be really right, clear. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Before we get like a bunch of emails about uh, thigh high boots. Oh okay, my now you're gosh! Going, now you're now you're slipping down. Jingoism in a nutshell. I tried, to, I tried to save you, but you're right? just you're going the off jingoism the in the nutshell. Okay, so anyway, it's it's the same thing. What the the key to being a good motorcyclist is being a defensive motorcyclist yeah. and understanding that. I hear riders talk about like, oh, you have to ride as if every guy's out to get you or every car's trying to catch you, and that's that's a good mindset to have. But understand that the reality is you have to act as if every car just doesn't see you. Yeah. Doesn't, and, and, and doesn't know you're there. It's not, and they're out to get you. That's just they don't even see you at all. So, and I'm one of them. I'm thinking about me rolling around in my van, not checking my blind spot, I'm being totally, all cocky. I've totally cut off a motorcyclist before, yeah. and it's just, yeah. and and they were totally shitty about it. And I was just like, yep, I you know, yep. I understand why you're upset because I've been that guy too. Yeah, but you need to understand that. I wasn't out to get you. I just didn't see you. You changed lanes in that time when I checked my mirrors or you moved in the lane and I just didn't see it or you were behind a car. Yep. There's a thousand things that are going the, the, on there. The main one for me that I try and impart to other motorcyclists is when you're rolling down any given surface street, like with stop signs and stoplights and turnouts and whatnot, chances are you're speeding. Chances are you're going five to 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. And a car driver, myself included, is looking for cars going meh about that, right? And a car going about that's a lot easier to see than a bike. So when somebody pulls out in front of me from a drive on when I'm on my motorcycle, most likely I'm speed. I'm going to tell you most likely I am speeding. And I give them, I, I'm the stupid one if I don't assume that person is not going to come out in front of me. So I'm ready with either my brake covered or my just downshifted or whatever. And you just got to ride like that. And once you let that go and you don't get into the, I'm going to flip this fucker off mode, it's so much easier to ride a motorcycle. Once you realize it's not them, you're, you're, it's part of you. It's, it's a balance between you and them. It's, it's you probably speeding a little bit. And there's a big difference between that and somebody coming over on you when you're trying to lane split and they're putting their car or in, in your way. There's like an active, you know, yeah, antagonism I, there. I'm not right? going to. I've been riding motorcycles on the street for 15 years plus. I can't do the math in my head right now. And I've definitely had a handful of situations where the person in the car or truck or whatever it was legitimately was trying to cause me yeah, harm. Yeah, sure. Run me off the road, yep. cut me off, yep. brake check me, whatever. Yep. It's definitely, definitely happened. I would say 99% of the close calls I've ever had in those 15 plus years wasn't one of those cases. It was, they didn't see me. I changed lanes, the traffic flow, some extraneous circumstance of I'm basically just not a car. I wasn't within this parameter, this, this mental heuristic of driving that deals where 95% of the vehicles on the road are a boxy car. Did you just say heuristic? I did. Please define that. A heuristic is a mental shortcut that you do to, huh. to achieve some process. And now you know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> John, John. Did you ever see the the remade PSAs? No. Oh, they're so good. Hey, man, I'm a computer. Yeah, yeah, okay. I yeah, know what you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hey, play with computer. I'm a computer. Stop the downloading. <laughs> 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 
so good. You're going to have to, that'll have to be on the show notes. We'll have to do some show notes. Show notes on that. Um, so, so back to the MA. It's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting debate. I don't think there's anything that, that can come of it right away. It, for me, I think the whole thing is endemic of this larger issue of we are an industry that has been governed by the baby boomers. And we see that with Harley Davidson. We see that in the industry as a whole. We see that the industry is 86% male. We see that it skews to 50 years and older. Yep. Uh, it's white guys on bikes mostly. Um, old white guys on bikes. Mm-hmm. Middle to upper middle class, uh, depending on how you how you want to cut things up. Sure. And we're going to have to, at some point, have a reckoning that that demographic is no longer the dominant demographic on the American landscape. And it's already happening. We're already seeing that millennials now are millennials and Gen X outnumber baby boomers and older in terms of buying power and in terms of consumer spending and, and things like that. And I think the conservative nature of the motorcycle industry, and I mean that in a, a political sort of way, I mean, sure. we are very resistant to change sure. as an industry is having a tough time with it. I think, and I think the AMA is part of that. And I think the, the helmet law is part of that. And I think this corn thing is part of that. And I think the, the just general approach that they have is part of that where there has to be this transition. There needs to be this understanding if like you want to be serious about younger riders or younger people coming on as motorcycle riders, you need to start acting like it. We, we sit here and we talk about Oh, hey, we, how do we, how do we get women to be part of the AMA? How can we get more women and more minorities? Well, I'll tell you what, don't have the Moto America, New Jersey round be highlighted by a bikini fest bike wash. Think about that for a second. Um, so start acting like if, you know, if you really want to be serious about these kind of things, if you really want to be serious about, you know, bringing in a new age demographic into this industry and, and catering to them, you need to start being honest about that and being sincere. And I think some of that comes down to these kind of policies. Like I see the AMA policy sometimes to me like that's an older generation's view of motorcycling. Uh, I'd be very curious to see the age breakdown on uh, helmet laws. I think it skews younger to be pro helmet. Sure. And skews older to be anti-helmet. Absolutely. I would, I would not be surprised by that in the least. And that's where I, and that's where I have a big issue with the AMA because if you're going to be completely reactionary and you're only going to cater to what your demographic says, you're, power as an organization is going to fade as that demographic fades because you're turning off people like you and I who are younger and don't necessarily line up with the AMA's current crop of, of action items. And by the time like the AMA comes around to our ideas, it probably will be irrelevant, but time will tell. No, that's a, I think a pretty good summation of the state of it. Um, I don't have a lot to add. I wish I did, but I'm not. I'm not going to not be be an AMA member. I'm not, you know, rescinding my AMA thing. But well, you want your little pin, dude? Totally, <laughs> right? There's 17 years or something coming up. It, it's interesting, you know. I mean, I would, I would love to have a continued dialogue with the AMA about this. It's definitely something we've we've conversed about before. I just, I just don't know if the folks in in Ohio are going to come around to it anytime soon. Um, last question. Where do you think the AMA stands on the pro kickstand law? I think they are all about kickstands up. You think they're they're for the kickstand up? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll see if that that position stays true or not. <laughs> all right, good, good times. Good talk. See you out there later.
No, I was I was just pounding on the yeah, somehow somebody like a nervous because habit. your because your mic boom is touching the sofa. Yeah, it picks up when you tap. Absolutely. So, just, so I didn't even think about it. So the cans clasped in front of me like a good, little little, good little children, boy. little, little children boy. in the schoolhouse. Right. Okay. So uh, new to, snap you for ruler. No, stop it. Uh, if I was like left-handed, would you have to wick me with a ruler to make my right hand? Have you ever the nuns? You know the nuns would like if you were left-handed. And you were in a Catholic school, the nuns would beat that left hand out of you and make you force you to write with your right hand. I didn't know that, but that would kind of make sense. Yeah, it's a bad deal. I feel I feel like left handers in American culture are like gingers in British culture. Like they just <laughs> yeah. don't have a soul. Yeah. Like it's just you die, you go to like the special ginger hell. <laughs> you go to special left handed hell where everything is a right hand turn. Oh wait, that's here. <laughs> Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. 